I'm going to start with head injury. Head injury could be due to concussion, contusion, laceration, or it could be due to fracture. These are some of the causes of, health, of, of head injuries. With concussion, there is a traumatic injury that hit the brain that's going to cause, that's going to change the brain functions. It makes the brain to function differently from its normal functioning. Then contusion is like a bruising of the cerebral tissue. So contusion, there's a bruise or there are bruises on the cerebral tissue that are going to cause dysfunction of the brain to a certain extent. While laceration is a tearing of those same cerebral issue, wherein we're going to have uh, bleeding in the outside of the head. Then we have fracture. Fracture could be due to um, other, other, uh, other fracture of the skull that could be affected or other body parts that could also be affected. All of those ones are different areas. Um, like individuals who are at risk for head injuries, our main goal is to prevent head injury or individuals who are at risk for falls. So for risk individuals, our goal is to prevent head injury because many a time when people fall to the floor in the nursing home, in the hospital, um, they damage, uh, they, they're gonna, they, they're gonna be concussion, contusion, or laceration of this of, of, of the head. So, those are our goals. Now, in order to implement those goals, sometimes patients are prescribed to use um, helmets, sometimes other patients might use like gate belt, like we use lift to transfer the patients, we use like the higher lift. All those things are tools or different equipment that we use to prevent fall with patients who are immobile or patients who are, who are at fall risk. Now, uh, also lack of supervision in where we work can be one of the most risky factors of fall, for fall. Because when a patient is being supervised or monitored, it makes it easier to prevent, to, to prevent falls. Uh, or sometimes what we use in our environment, in our work environment can also cause them to have fall, unsafe or inappropriate or unsafe uh, safety, safety practices. Those are things we do. Now, we always, when there's a fall, we do incident report. We do incident report. Now, incident report, it is not for repercussion or repercussive purposes. It is not to, to, to find the individual and punish them who caused the fall or who did not monitor the patient. When we do incident report, mainly, it is for us to put in corrective measure, not to penalize the individuals involved, but to know the cost, the cost of the fall, and to see what can we put into place to prevent another occurrence or reoccurrence of the fall to the same patient or the other patients. That's why we do incident report. So the incident report has many parts. You who witness the fall, you are the one who is reliable to do the incident report. Now, the nurse or the charge nurse might do it, but you who witness the fall, you got to read an incident report, 
may charge that will also read a report that take for example if i'm working on a unit of a uap and the uap they uh unlicensed assisted personnel uap witness the fall um they're gonna come and call me oh amando you are the charge now uh, patient j uh, john brown has fallen from the bed and he's on the floor i'm gonna rush there when i get there i, I, I as a charge nurse I want to witness how how we want to go on with the proceeding to put him back to what we want to do whether he's going to remain there we immobilize his spine or his neck called for assistance or what i'm going to witness i'm going to put that into writing and produce an incident report towards that then i'm going to also ask the uap to read what did she see or what did he see so i'm going to do that then we'll combine it then we'll send it over to the next person then we'll do a follow-up on it that's how we do incident reporting with falls and these problems now when there is a hair injury um the patient will have sometimes they're gonna have amnesia um amnesia is a short-term memory loss that comes in with some traumatic conditions amnesia they're gonna have amnesia so they're going to have amnesia when they fall. So they might not remember everything. So after every fall, you want to make sure you complete a new medical examination. You want to ask your patient, uh, what's your name? Where are you? Do you know what's happening to you? You want to know the LOC, the level of consciousness. This can be either alert, lethargy, stuporous. They could be in coma after the fall. They could be alert. Are they... Alight and oriented times what? It will be times one, times two, times three, times four. Times one could be to person or place. Times two could be person and place. Times three could be the time or the date. Times four could be the situation. So, do you know where you are? Do you know why are you here? The questions about why are you here is going to answer situation. So, if our patient had a four, it understands why they are here where they are, what time they came, or what date is today, who's speaking to them. If they understand all of what we are asking them, then they are alert and oriented times four. So this is how you look at the you look at that. Now after every four you must do a head to toes assessment. In this assessment, you want to make sure you look at every aspect of the four, how it started, what happened and uh you, you want to also go ahead and monitor a patient from head to toes. Now, for this uh, assessment, give me a second. Let me let me just uh, pick up something. Okay. Now, for this head to toe assessment, we want to make sure we look at every aspect of the assessment. We look at the neurological system, the GI system. We look at the musculoskeletal system, the skin. Well, there is bruises or uh, whether uh, uh, there are bruises coming on the skin or what is the cause everything can look at from head to toes you look at uh, for the neuro you, you look at the eyes the perla look at the perla the p-e-r-r-l-a this is this this is about the pupils what the p stands for the pupils the pupil where the pupil are equal e stands for equal where they are equal they are rounded Arrows step around that. Second arrows are reactive. Why are rounded or reactive to light? L-I-G-H-T. To light 
A stands for accommodation. So these are things you want to make sure where the patients are all, all these things are intact. The pupils, well, the pupil is equal, the pupils are equal, they are rounded, they are reactive to light and accommodation. Because the pupil dilates in light. It dilates in light, I'm sorry, in darkness, I mean. In darkness, it dilates. So remember D for dilates and D for darkness. So the pupils dilates in darkness and the constraint, it constricts in light. So the pupil, the pupil needs to, if it, it, it is a bright light, that's why when you enter a light area where it's bright, it takes you a few seconds to be able to wash things around you because the light will brighten the eye and the pupil needs to constrict to be able to, start to, to, to visualize the surrounding object. Now, our normal pupils is between two to four millimeter in light and in darkness, it needs to dilate from four to eight millimeter. So in darkness, it's four to eight. In light, it's two to four. That's, uh, that is the normal pupil constriction and dilatation time of diameter. Now, then you look at the pupils, you move downward to um, the ears. Look at the ears, the extremities, the move the cardiovascular system. You look at the skin, the color of the skin. What are you having in any edema on the skin? Any, any whether it's you know, that has any swollen, any bruises, any, any, any abrasion after the fall, any contusion after the fall, any concussion occurred after the fall. When you check this neurological system, it tells you whether the person is having concussion or, con or you look at what they, they have any abnormalities. These are things you look at for the patient. Then you move to the jugular vein. Now the jugular vein should never ever be visible. At any point in time, when we have visible jugular vein, that means there is a problem. So for the jugular vein, there are a few things I want you to know. Once there is a jugular vein seen, there is some form of a heart disease. Jugular vein visibility is with a heart failure. Now, it's mostly right-sided heart failure because in right-sided heart failure, you have systemic symptoms in right-sided heart failure. Example, you have the jugular vein distension. You have the feet swollen in right-sided heart failure. Now, in left-sided heart failure, you, you're going to have uh, pulmonary symptoms. The pulmonary, there will be pulmonary symptoms. The lungs will have these symptoms shown. Take for example, you have dyspnea. You will have dyspnea in here. You will have um, some bradypenia. You will have everything about left-sided heart failure is linked towards the lungs. And everything towards right-sided heart failure is linked towards systemic problem. So, in your assessment for head to toes, you will look out for the jugular vein. And the jugular vein, once it's visible, there is a heart problem. Now, if it is flat, that means patient has some hemothorax condition, hemothorax, or they are having hypotension, uh, hypovolemia. They are having hypovolemia, meaning the fluid level is low. You are seeing the jugular vein, but it's flat. They are having hemothorax, blood in the chest, or they are having hypovolemia, low fluid volume. In other situations, if it is extended, if it is extended, 
um, in this situation, they are either having hypertension or they are having other problems. So you got to look out from head to toes and make points on every abnormal, you go, uh, abnormality you're going to watch for the patient. You're going to move ahead, look at those cranial nerves. You have the 12 cranial nerve. And you want to also understand for the ankles, you want to understand how do we assess each of those 12 cranial nerves. Example, the facial nerve, right? Uh, the facial nerve, cranial nerve 7. Now, this facial nerve under here, you want to make sure you look at um, the face. Is the face symmetrical? Uh, is, is the face normal? The patient is smiling after a fall, but you see one eye closing, the other eye is open while they are smiling. That's the symmetry of the face. You see the patient is laughing or smiling. The lips on the right side is moving up and down. The one on the left side is stagnant. That's not normal smile. So these things can happen. You want to check the, sh the patient's shoulder. Did he have a fracture of the shoulder? If it's a fracture, he cannot shrug his shoulder. We are checking for cranial nerve 11. His sense of smell, so his sense of taste, all those things are being controlled by different cranial nerves. You want to go into your book and look at those cranial nerves and know which one has what part of the body control and how do you test for those cranial nerves. Then you move onward to um, the eye, uh, you, you look at the lungs. The lungs have the, the lungs have two lung sounds. You have lung sounds. What are the normal lung sounds? Can somebody help me? Normal lung sound. Can somebody help out with, long, with normal lung sounds? The vesicular lung sounds. The bronch the bronchi sound. And you have the bronchovesicular, bronchovesicular lung sound. These are normal lung sounds. You want to listen to the lung, what are these, what are the patients having normal lung sound or abnormal lung sound? What are the abnormal lung sounds? You have one, wheezes. Are they having wheezes? You have crackles. Are they having crackles? You have ronchi. Are they having ronchi? These are different lung sounds. At this stage, we should be able to identify and know our normal lung sounds versus our abnormal lung sounds. Now, on your assessment, you can figure out these things. Then you move to um, the lung sound. Also, you, you look at the nasal or uh, the nasal flaring. Is he having nasal flaring? Most of the kids will have these things. You look at you, you look at them. Is is the sternal retract? Is this is there a sternal retraction? Intercostal retraction. Is he using his diaphragm to breathe? Those are signs of lungs problem. We should not use extra muscle to breathe. We should use the lungs to breathe in and out. If we're using the diaphragm, meaning we have a problem. Those with COPD, with, with other obstructive disorder for the lungs, they might use extra muscle to breathe, like the diaphragm, which you can, you can see and you know and you'll be able to know those things. Then we we'll move ahead to um coughing. Are they coughing? Is the cough can we, uh, is the patient being able to like a uh, clear off the cough, uh, sorry, clear off their, their, their lungs by coughing, meaning you hear some harsh sounds in the lung, like crackles. After the patient coughs, can he clear the lung sounds with coughing? If that's the case, then meaning he needs some other assist, assist to clear the airway. We could do cough assist. We could do chest physiotherapy. 
We could do just uh, facial therapy, facial therapy to help to clear the airway. If he's coughing and with each cough, the airway gets clear, meaning he has some mucus in the airway. So we can come in and walk and help to clear the airway um, through chest facial therapy or using cough assist machine. Now, these things, you can see these things on YouTube, on, on, on Google, you better look at them, they are in there. Now, the next thing is, what's the cough color? Is the cough a dry cough? Is it producing sputum? These are things that the doctor going to ask you if you call to make a unique expiry report. We also move ahead, then we look at uh, the O2. Is he on oxygen? What is he on? Is he, what is, what is his pulse oximetry? Is he having normal air, room air? Okay, he's 98% on what? On room air or 98% on O2 or he's 98% on CPAP or he's 98% on BAPAP. Now, you have CPAP and BAPAP. The CPAP has one air pressure, meaning when you are inspiring or doing inhalation and exhalation of the CPAP, you are only using one air pressure. It is not changing. Now, with BAPAP, which is called BAR, which means two, in BAPAP condition, when you are inspiring and and ex, uh, when you are going through inhalation and ex, ex, exhalation, you have two different air pressures. That's why it is called BIPAP. Now, when you are breathing out, the BIPAP machine will produce a lower air pressure. That is when you are ex, when you are having exhalation or expiring, you will have uh, a lower air pressure. When you are inhaling or during inhalation, the BIPAP produces a higher air pressure because the lungs would need more air to inflate the lungs. So, so you wonder why they are on BIPAP and how, what's the O2 saturation on this machine? If, if they are on ventilator, you want to also make that known. So you look at those things. What are they having in synthesis spirometer to help them? Uh, uh, what are they having this material? What's the frequency? What's the whole circums? How many times did, are they doing it? Are they having other medications on to help them clear the airway? Those, all of these things can be checked out when you're doing the head and toes assessment for patients who is involved in, uh, in, in a fall or in hair injury or in any other injury in the hospital. The aura, look at from start to end. The bowel sounds, the ink, what they have in company, the cis quadrant, the, 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 quadrant, the full quadrant of the abdomen, upper right, lower right, upper left, lower left, all those quadrants, the see what they are, they are having anything in there like pain, they are having normal bowel sound. You know these things. Then you look at, um, you look out for them. Then you move to look at the eye, uh, what is next to the bedside before the fall. Where they conscious other things we should look at already. What are they having IV fluids? If they have IV, what fluid are they having? What's the fluid drop factor? What machine are you? Everything you need to know there. Are they are they on dialysis on the bed? Now there are two kinds of dialysis. You have the hemodialysis and you have the peritoneum dialysis. Now, for the hemo, which we discussed here before, the hemo, there will be a machine that filters the blood. So there is a machine or a dialyzer 
that fetters the blood in dialysis. If it is peritoneal dialysis, there will be no big machine, meaning the patient peritoneal cavity, where you have the intestines and other things residing, that entire vacuum is what we call the peritoneum. So for peritoneal dialysis, the vacuum can be used as the place to fit on the blood instead of, a, instead of a machine. So these are things you will see. And for dialysis, you always see two things. There are two things that you're going to always check for. The brutes should be present. Brutes and the trail should always be present. You can look at the brutes, B-R-U-I-T, the trails, T-R-I-L-L-S. Look them up and look at all these things I'm saying. They are very important for the ankles. All these things can be done. If the patient had a wound, how are we going to care for the wound? If they are having active bleeding, how do we care for these active bleeding sites are important when it comes to the ankles? How can we help them? What dressing would they need? Would they need pressure dressing? Would they need damp to dry dressing? Would they need an alternate dressing? All these dressings are in your book. All the fluid you have, they are in there. And we have to know these things. For the anklet, if, if you don't know this, the, the kind of dressing, the kind of fluid, and their indications, we not, they mean that we have not done a lot in studying the anklet. At this stage, we must know them if we've been in this class for a while. We must know them. What dressing the patient would need? They cut different dressing, wet dressing, coarse dressing, wet to damp, damp to, all oh, everything are in the sanders. Any question? Did you say you have taught dialysis here in this class? Yes. I wasn't there then. Now, maybe after you are not joined, I will do dialysis, but we'll still do it again. If you are us up, if you will be up the message, we'll still do it again. So uh, these are things you want to look out for. Now, for the hair injury, patient can have lots of, like I talked about, lots of consciousness. Um, then they can have two, sometimes sometime they're going to have, uh, after the hair injury, they're going to go into coma. And there are two kinds of coma, two stages. Stage one of coma, they're going to have decorticate cerebrate, uh, decorticate, decorticate coma. It is wearing the arms. The arms, the arms are flexed. The arms are flexed towards the main, the, the main point in decorticate. Now, if they're having decerebrate, decerebrate coma stage, the arms are extended. They're going to have arm extension. You're going to have that in this situation. So you're going to look out for the patient if they're in coma or they are having decorticate comatose or they are having decerebrate comatose or they are in decerebrate comatose stage. You got to look at that after head injury. Then you want to make sure um, after head injury, what laboratory assessment can we do? What laboratory tests we can do to, uh, to know all things happening to the patient? One, we do the ABGs, the arterial blood gases, the arterial blood gases should be done that's one now for this arterial blood gases i think someone already put in there one of our videos for arterial blood gases which you can look at it and it will make sense to you a lot then we can do blood alcohol and toxicology screening was the person on alcohol before the fall what happened to them all these things can tell us about the blood alcohol toxicology study then we'll do the liver function test to know what's happening. 
we can do um x-ray one just a four we want to do cervical spine x-ray cervical spine spinal x-ray well no one there's anything wrong with the spine the spinal cord is it damaged if it's damaged to what extent where the damage occur because depending on where the damage occur that can cause impairment to a particular body region now you want to look at also for now look look at also for the assignment spinal cord look for spinal cord injury uh, injuries with body segment involved with body parts involvement body parts involvement so you check it out you, you look at this meaning if l5 to l from l3 to l5 where it gets damaged what body parts become impaired so you, you look it will give you a description of every body parts with its impairment with different um uh, spinal cord injury then we can do the ct scan and mri we do ct scan and mri you've heard about these two tests a lot of time in the u.s now have you taken your time to read about them we've done them in this class we have them in our or uh, in our audio they are there you can still look them up look at how do we when do we do ct scan what are the nursing management for a patient who is being prepped up for ct scan what the patient is supposed to do what the nurse should tell the, this patient that going for ct scan likewise mri all of those tests ekg what patient needs to know are they going on npo can they drink water is it a non-npo procedure all these things you all know you have to know and tell a patient before going for uh this procedure you want to make sure also um you check if there is an icp increase intracranial pressure if it is increased now the normal icp intracranial pressure is one to ten millimeter per mercury now anything above 10 meaning there's an increase in the icp level so after a fall or a hair injury which will be one of the uh, one of the factors or one of the symptoms for severe spinal cord injury you check the intracranial pressure if it is increased above 10 that means there's a problem you want to give medications to help the patient these are things you look out for as a nurse give for the anchor then we have specific care for our patient you make sure um you stabilize the spinal uh the spine until a core injury is ruled out when a patient falls when there is a motor vehicle accident that involves the back of the patient Patient back, patient spine needs to be immobilized until further assessment rules out spinal cord injury. We do not remove uh, the patient from that position until um, there is a rule out spinal cord injury. Either we did an MRI or CT scan to rule out spinal cord injury. That's when they can be asked to wake up and move around because if you don't do that, moving around or trying to move around when there's a spinal cord injury it will not worsen the situation it does not help you in a way you want to make sure and maintain a pitting airway if they need to get on ventilator you put an on mechanical uh breathing machine if there's a fracture there's a bleeding occurring you make sure you uh you make sure you stable uh you 
apply pressure dressing to the bleeding side and make sure you implement all measures to prevent complication. If they are bedridden, if they had an injury, you have them to turn over every two hours. You want to maintain an indwelling care or urinary care for the patient. You want to get them too soft enough. If they if they are if they had an injury and they can't move around, get them too soft enough. Why you want to get them too soft enough when they have hair injury? Why? Can someone tell me? The patient screening. Okay, so for hair injury, you give them too soft enough um to avoid screening. Now because they want to avoid screening, uh if they are straining and they are having any intracranial pressure above 10, you're gonna increase its mode, which will cause more damage. That's why they're gonna take laxative or it takes two something up to help them to ease passing stool. Thank you very much. Then you want to make sure um so that is what we call uh, uh what we call vastava maneuver. Valsava maneuver. Valsava maneuver. Look at this this procedure. Know how it is. Know how 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 it is done. Now, um, we also want to make sure we implement seizure precautions because when there's hair injury, there will be seizure coming in. We monitor the fluid regular balances. We monitor the patient level of osmolarity. Um, the sodium regulations, all of those things are all washed out for, like diabetes insipidus, um, severe hypovolemia. They are all at risk for this condition. You maintain safety, pour the bedside rails, and part the bedside rails, the core lights within the ridge. Provide nutritional support. They're going to be on TPN. Total parental nutrition is what they're going to be on TPN. Now, it is important to know about TPN, total parental nutrition. It is also in the book. You want to read on it and know a lot about this. Then you look at uh, the type of diet also is in your book. You have different types of diets. You have a uh, liquid, full liquid diet. You have a uh, soft diet. You have mechanical diet. You have regular diet. Look at these type of diet and know uh, you have like a patient who patient who on a take on taking it, who do not drink water, they drink taking it. Now patient who have some condition of uh, some dysphagia, they gonna they, 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 uh, they do not drink water, they drink something that is thicker than water, which is called taking it. If you work at those group homes, you you, you know these things I'm talking about. You put it into so now it comes in powder and you put it into a little fluid and uh, it's going to change its consistency to a more thicker consistency you want to make sure you provide ways to communicate with patients um, when they cannot talk medication wise will give manitol which is an osmotic diuretics want to give the patient manitol it is an osmotic diuretic for the patient to help to reduce the swelling in the brain. We give them AED medication, anti 
epileptic medication, AEDs. They will take AEDs medication. We can also administer um, antibiotics in the case of uh, they have CSF leakage. We can give them antibiotics. Um, we can also give them analgesic. Now, um, for these AEDs, this is that I labeled for you all the most important AEDs. And I want you to go and read about them and know the class, the four honor, know their common side effects. If they have black box warning, to know them, to know what are those precautions you want to put into place. Example, like the food to food or food to drugs interaction precautions about this AED, like lamotrigine, like vaporic acid, like carbamazepines, like you have all the phenytoins, like you have the clonazepine, you have the volume. All those are all AED medication, but they also fall in different category of medications. So you want to read on that and know them well. Any question?